Welcome to the Sound Money Podcast. If you guys are new here, I am your host, Steve McGarry, and we go through everything about new businesses leveraging technology in innovative ways, in exciting ways, actually. And if you guys are new to the show, welcome. If you're watching on YouTube, what's up? You can see me in person. You can see me sitting right here talking to the microphone. And if you're viewing or listening on iTunes, Spotify. How's it going? Good to have you. Good to have you here. So I spent this past weekend in LA at an event. And uh, every time I go there, it's like literally the most sprawling city where you can open up your phone, open up Uber or Lyft or whatever app you're using. And it's like 45 minutes to, to the next place, wherever you're going. It's craziness. Absolute craziness. So what I want to go over today quickly is about risk versus reward. So one of the things that we talked about when I was in LA this weekend was actually the uh, risk and reward profiles of different assets. And this is a really fun subject for me, specifically because I only invest in alternative assets. Um, that's like been my strategy since I got out of college, I was always interested in in alternative asset classes and and new things that were emerging, and that was where my first company that was in peer to peer lending started. Was that was like a mega wave trend? Still is kind of trending. It, it became lesser of peer to peer, more of like peer to institution disguised <laughs> kind of thing. Because quickly in the marketplace, it was like. Uh, mom and pops investing. And then once institutions figured out that people were using it to actually borrow money, they just had a bunch of bots scoop up all of the lowest risk profile loans. Um, and now it's just bots competing against each other and mom and pops are kind of, kind of shoved out a little bit. So it changed quite a bit and that just happens. That happens when people prove out an industry, a new asset class, whatever it may be. So in terms of everyone that I've ever met that had substantial wealth, and by wealth, I mean financial freedom slash time to do whatever they see fit and whatever they want to do, it is a uh, it is someone that has taken a risk. If you want to actually have some freedom, you're going to have to stomach a little bit of risk. And there's a lot of people out there that can't stomach risk. They just can't face the the ideals that that uh, a risky asset class presents to them. So I do think that we are taught one way in school, your parents, uh, their parents taught them. And it's very much like, go to school, get an education, you know, whether it's college or finishing school, whatever that may be, and get a job and uh, retire after you save money for a very long time, putting it into traditional assets like your stocks, your ETFs, and, and all that good stuff, using a money manager and all that. So if you want to live an average life, uh, totally do that. That is the way to do it. But if you are trying to change your trajectory of your wealth, which if you're watching this or listening to this, 
a lot of people are interested in doing that. They are interested in class mobility and moving up uh, in terms of the amount of money that they're able to make. So you're going to have to stomach some risk. You're going to have to take some risk and, and allocate some funds to a little bit more untraditional assets. And that's what I want to talk about today. And the well-paved path is, like I said, your nine to five, save money in a bank account or low interest, you know, account making 2% a year or something like that. And ideally over time, you're, you know, putting into retirement 401k, whatever that may be. And you, you will make the same as average people. If you make average money, if you invest average amounts with the average and where the herd is moving, you will equal what the average person within the herd is, is making. And that's fine. I don't, I definitely don't want to be the person that always says like, yeah, you need to put your money into like some crazy, crazy financial instrument or new asset class that just came out from some kids in a basement somewhere. But I, I definitely don't want to be that person. Don't want to bang that drum. I do think that, um, in terms of some newer asset classes that have come out that are becoming more bona fide, um, I think that that is what I'm more interested in. So a couple of these are web properties. That's one that I'm super bullish on, have been for three years. If you guys have watched or listened to uh, you know, my, my personal channel, I talk a lot about buying and selling web properties, super fun subject, super fun industry as a whole. And being a buyer on marketplaces like flippa.com is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And I actually had Blake Hutchinson, the CEO of Flippa, on the Sound Money Podcast. If you haven't heard that episode, definitely go listen to that. Uh, he's a super insightful guy. You know, was running a $300 million business before he jumped on as the CEO nine or 10 months ago with Flippa. So really powerful thing to have a marketplace of buyers and sellers interacting back and forth. Really, really powerful. And I think that in terms of that asset class becoming very much more mainstream, um, I think we're probably about two or three years out from like average Wall Street type investors moving money towards these larger web properties and having portfolios. I think that it's coming in the near future. So that's that's definitely an alternative asset class. There is a high risk to that. You know, because you're literally, that is a peer-to-peer concept, just like I was talking about with the lending piece in 2014 when I started that business. Literally, this is the same kind of thing, except, you know, you're doing peer-to-peer transaction with a, a business that you're acquiring, and you don't need $100,000 to get into that. That's something that I hear a lot, is people saying that it's, I don't have six figures to just allocate to some random website. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> stop, stop, stop giving me advice. And uh, it, it's so far from the truth. You can literally buy websites on there for $100, $200, $500, $10,000, a million dollars. Like there's this huge spectrum all across the board, depending on what kind of business you're looking for and what's listed. Um, it's based on an auction model. So it goes every 30 days. And what they're working on is leaving it on there um, in perpetuity until the seller actually sells it. I think that that's not live yet, but it is a really interesting model and it's a fantastic asset class. To give some quick perspective in that risk 
of buying one of those sites um, in terms of returns. I've bought probably a dozen websites on there. And overall, half of those websites have yielded 100% return on investment within a year. And I don't, I'm not aware of many other asset classes other than like Bitcoin or something like that. Not aware of that many other asset classes that can yield 100% ROI minus expenses um, or after expenses, actually, after a year. Like that's nuts. And I think that there's something, there's something to be said about being able to acknowledge when I said half, the other half have not yielded a, a, a solid return yet. So you have to realize that those half made up for the other half, and that's the risk. Long-term, it's great. Short-term, not so good. But you have to always allocate things into risky assets that you're willing to lose. Can't just, you know, refinance your house and put it into something that you aren't don't even know what it is. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a lot of data that's publicly available and looking into it deeper de-risking and making yourself comfortable before you make any sort of investments always, no matter what. So once again, if you are interested in doing that, like wealth creation, first and foremost, you have to get comfortable with risk, high risk, high reward. There are no low risk, high reward opportunities out there. If there are, people are probably trying to scam you. Like people are probably trying to take your money and don't trust that. If it looks like a duck, talks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. Now, I've learned that over the years and no one's going to just bend over backwards to make sure that you're making out better than they are. Everybody's hustling. Everybody's always trying to push some sort of, um, you know, agenda in my experience and I know that that's like a cynical way of looking at it and a little bit of a, a uh, worst case scenario approach, but that's the best way to do it is how I've learned. Always look at it as worst case scenario. And when I'm going into buying a new asset or investing in a new asset, if I, I always ask myself, if I lose all this money that I'm putting into this one, this one asset, how long until my other assets can cover that? Um, that's definitely, definitely, definitely a priority. So quickly to define what is an alternative investment, an alternative investment is a financial asset that does not fall into one of the conventional investment categories. Conventional categories include stocks, bonds, and cash. Most alternative investment assets are held by institutional investors or accredited high net worth individuals because of their complex nature, lack of regulation, and degree of risk. So that's not true. Um, that is, you know, on Investopedia and people say these, I've made an episode on this accredited investors. They know what they're doing. They have access to all of these high yielding, high risk assets, non-accredited investors. We need to protect them. We cannot give them access to these types of things. And in reality, that's the way that you, you move classes. That's your class mobility ticket is these high risk opportunities. And even if you put a small amount of money into them that you can afford to, to lose, you, you have a shot and that cap on top to say, like, if you don't have, I think it was like 
250,000 as a household income and you don't have a million in net worth, you know, you're, you're capped off. So with web properties like Flippa, there's no accreditation needed. You don't need to have anything like that. And also with things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, another alternative asset class, don't need any accreditation there. That's available to everyone, everyone all over the entire world. And um, there's a lot of alternative assets out there that are not following those guidelines of the actual accreditation versus non-accredited uh, investors. So I just wanted to point out that you, in terms of education, always use as much publicly available data as you possibly can. Make sure that you understand what you're putting your money into. Make sure that it's money that you are comfortable losing. Um, don't go out there, take out a loan, or put things on credit cards. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's super, super sketchy to do that. Don't do that. <laughs> not, not financial advice, but don't do that. Uh, the basics of an alternative investment. Many alternative investments have high minimum investments and in fee structures, especially when compared to mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, ETFs. These investments have less opportunity to publish verifiable performance data and advertise to potential investors. Although alternative assets may have high initial minimums and upfront investment fees, transaction costly lower than those of conventional assets due to the lower levels of turnover. Most alternative assets are fairly illiquid, especially compared to conventional counterparts. So for example, with your web properties that you're purchasing that I was just talking about um, through a broker or through a marketplace or something like that, they are relatively illiquid. Like you have to actually re republish them or repost them on these platforms to sell them. So it's not going to actually be, you know, immediate, but on the other end, you have something like Bitcoin and crypto where it's just super liquid. Like the Bitcoin market is extremely liquid. Uh, so that's not true for all alternative asset classes. That's a bucket statement, uh, which is interesting. And I'm not just bashing Investopedia's definition here, by the way, for everybody listening. I'm, I'm going through the article and, or the definition, not article, and just trying to flush out exactly what the traditional mindset is of what an alternative asset and investment it means and what it, what a traditional investor looks at as an alternative investment and then the reality of what I've experienced. So key takeaways, an alternative investment is a financial asset that does not fall into one of the conventional equity income cash categories. I already went over that. Private equity or venture capital, hedge funds, real property, commodities, and tangible assets are all examples of alternative investments. Most alternative investments are unregulated by the SEC. So this is the one that I really wanted to bring up here. And the Securities Exchange Commission is um, definitely always looking into alternative asset classes. Like, for example, with crypto um, that I talk about a lot on the podcast, it's a, a constant revolving door of word about regulation. They don't want to stifle regulation, but at the same time, they, they want to make sure that mom and pops aren't refinancing their house and dumping it all into a, a random 
cryptocurrency project that isn't one of the top two or three projects out there. Like they're not, they're just trying to make sure that everybody isn't losing their money, quote unquote, losing, losing their money, protect, protecting. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of the SEC, but I will say that um, it is very dangerous to regulate things too early on. And I'm sure that they're aware of that. They're very smart um, and they know, they know what they're doing. But I do think that in terms of things like blockchains and stuff like that, they probably probably don't know as much. I'm hoping that they hire people that know a little bit more. But, you know, another conversation for a different day. While traditionally for institutional investors and accredited investors, alternative investments have become feasible to retail investors via alt funds, ETFs, and mutual funds that build portfolio of alternative assets. A good example of this is a exchange called Gemini is building a, or they already have it. It's called the Cryptoverse, and not to keep talking about crypto over and over again, but they are building out this bucket of all of these different digital assets into one, and you can put it in there almost like an index fund for the uh, cryptocurrency space, which is quite brilliant. You can ride the wave of bull markets all together. You don't have to just have it in one uh, one token or one um, one chain or whatever whatever you think is the best one. You can just do a do an entire basket of all of them. So that's kind of what they're doing in the alternative space. And um, they're saying that it has become more feasible for retail investors, meaning the mom and pops, which I agree with uh, to a certain ex extent. There are people out there that um, are trying to help mom and pops invest in alternative assets for sure, uh, including myself. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, uh, it's super important. And I think that that is, uh, oh, there is a little piece here that, um, the pros and cons. So the weighing up your pros and cons is probably going to be a little different than this, but the pros that is what Investopedia is saying is counterweight to conventional assets. So when one goes up, the other goes down and one goes down, the other goes up kind of thing where you're hedging, you're keeping it, um, relatively diversified out. So portfolio diversification is the next one, inflation hedge, high rewards. So high risk, high rewards. And I think that the biggest one is probably the portfolio diversification and counterweight um, because you're just trying to make sure everything's balanced. And if you're not in high risk assets, if everything else in your portfolio goes down, then you don't have anything like that's uncorrelated and just dragging the returns up to even it out. So that's where a lot of the traditional investors are moving, where they say, all right, if all these stocks, equities in my, in my portfolio are going down, where is, the, where is the next asset that has already hit the floor and where can I put more money to stabilize if my, all of my stocks go down or all of my portfolio goes down? And that's when alternative asset classes come in to the picture. And that's how everyone should operate in every part of their life. They should always be hedging against any sort of financial risks. Cons, difficult to value, illiquid, unregulated, high risk. So I agree high risk. I agree sort of illiquid for some. That's a blanket statement though, that they're like all illiquid because they're not. 
the unregulated piece, I agree with that. It is very much wild, wild west. Usually when you're in early in an alternative asset class that just came out, you are rewarded for, for doing so. Um, and difficult to value. I agree there to a certain extent, but the market can really d- dictate the value. For example, when you're buying like a web property or Amazon FBA store or an e-commerce store um, or something, um, you know, like an application, mobile mobile application, the market has kind of already set certain prices based on monthly revenue and annual revenue, very similar to how, uh, you know, private equity works and things like that and how you value your company when you're doing a fundraise. It's very similar to that, uh, except growth rate isn't really applied to it as much from what I've seen. It's usually just, this is how much the company profits every month. This is the cash flow gross, this is profit net. And you just multiply that by 20. Usually 20 to 25 is like the the gold standard. And then if you can find the gems hidden, then you can get it for 15, maybe 10x the monthly multiple. Um, 10 times the the monthly revenue. I think that that is, those are the the gold mines because then you have your return on investment within a year, maybe year and a half. If you have some expenses or you're doing some, some growth to it, but I think it's, uh, it's definitely high risk. The illiquid part, there's a lot of secondary exchanges for a lot of different alternative assets. So, uh, that, that one's a little questionable. Depends. It always depends. (laughs) That's always the answer. The best answer to many questions is it depends. And that's pretty much it. Um, I think that this is a really boiled down version of the pros and cons, but this is kind of a high level, which I somewhat agree with for some, some asset classes. Not all of them are the same. So blanket simplified one word answers like illiquid, um, doesn't really, doesn't really do any, do anything for me. Doesn't, doesn't justify it. Uh, so that's it. For this episode, I know that this was very high level about risk and reward and the importance of taking risks and the importance of knowing that if you want wealth, don't do what everyone else is doing. You have to go off from the herd. If you want to be like everybody else, follow everybody else. If you want to actually build some wealth, you have to have to do your own path. You have to do something different than everyone else. And that's when these alternative asset classes come into the picture. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram. I know a lot of you guys have been and uh, with any questions. And that is it for this episode of Sound Money. Hope to see you guys on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Sound Money Podcast with your host, me, Steve McGarry. If you guys want to learn more about all of our previous episodes and our upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and iTunes and Spotify. We are trying to get the word out there. So feel free to share the Sound Money podcast as well as like us on iTunes. Leave us a review if you feel so compelled to do so. And join us next week on the next episode because we're going to be talking about some really exciting new technologies on next week's episode. And I want you to think about how these technologies from today's episode could apply to the workplace that you are currently in. And that is it. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next time.